Hello ladies and gentlemen, Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 29 of Radiance, my Fallout fan fiction. I do hope you've been enjoying this rather eventful adventure through the Fallout universe that I've been creating. And as always, if you can like, subscribe, leave me feedback wherever you can, it's always appreciated. You can do this at fanfiction.net or archiveofourown.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. And while you're there, you can stop and check out some of the other stories that I've written, like the Hunter Hunter Redux, Enemy of My Enemy Redux, or even the original work that only appears on my website called Storm Rider, that takes place in a fantasy world it's filled with walking, talking dragon girls, and all sorts of other weird and wonderful things for you to explore. So come along, have a read, leave a comment, tell me what you think. So, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, and the usual legal disclaimer, I don't own Fallout, bugs, glitches, breakdowns, game-breaking things. None of that's mine. I'll leave that to Bethesda. I just own the crazy tales. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 29. An Eye for an Eye. The whole village was scrambling. Weapons were being passed out, weak points secured, children hidden away in safe points with guardians. Seven jumped into his armour and grabbed his weapons. Checking them both as he did. Aye, peeps. Looks like the white legs didn't take too kindly to us upsetting the status quo. First by a stop in a raping spree and second by me turning their little wannabe warband leader into a hamburger. They're going to be out for blood. Unless if they what they want, then that's what they're going to get. Only thing is, it's going to be their own blood. Seven said as his team assembled. You have a plan, my male? Visa snarled and Seven nodded. It's not much, but it's the best I could come up with on the spot. We have a tactical advantage of high walls and defences, so we're going to have to put that to use. But we can't solely rely on that. We have to take the fight to them. Wisp, me and you are going to be our opening salvo. We're going to need you to scatter them and stop them focusing on one area. Thin them out so we can begin picking them off. Plus we're going to have the most resistant damage to these things with our armour. Visa and Ven, you two are going to flank them. One claw on each side. When me and Wisp scatter them, you should drive them right into you. They won't be expecting a pair of angry claws to come rushing out of the bushes right at them. Seven said and both claws nodded their agreement. Riss, you're going to be our ambusher. I want you hidden away behind them if possible. When they scatter, it'll be your job to take out priority targets. We want them as disorganised and scattered as possible. Go for their leaders, shaman, any targets of opportunity really. Dash in, take one out and then vanish. I want these fuckers chasing ghosts and shadows and jumping at their own fucking shadows while they're at it. Seven said and Riss smiled evilly, flicking her tongue at him. I can do this, she said and Seven nodded. Okay, that leaves Gregory and runs. You two are going to be pivotal in this. Gregory, I want you cloaked and in that tower with a rifle. Harass the fuckers with sniper fire and direct everybody else. You're going to be our eyes up there. Only show yourself when you need to. Tell us where you need us to go. Got it? Seven said and Gregory nodded nervously. Yeah, I think I can do that. He said and this seemed to make Ven happier as he knew his beloved male would be further from the main battlefield and therefore from harm. That leaves you, Runs. You're going to help us direct the defenders. You're going to be our translator and coordinator. We tell you where the attackers are pushing and it'll be your job to get the people in place and counter it from inside the wall. If they're coming up the right, I want those fuckers running face first into a wall of arrows and bullets. Got it? Seven said and runs nodded. 
I will do I's best, he said proudly, and Riss squeezed her man from behind, tickling his ear with her flickering tongue. All right, people, we know what we have to do, so let's fucking do this. This place will not fall today, not while we are here and not while we draw breath, Seven said, and the team cheered and broke, each heading for their starting point, while Runs ran to tell the chief the plan. Seven and Wisp headed out to the main gates and down the hill a little ways to meet the warband head-on. As confident as Seven was in their ability to win this fight, he was still nervous. A million scenarios were firing through his head all at once, and some of them were truly unspeakable. Like what if he lost one of his friends? Or, God forbid, Visa? No, he had to be confident and strong. They were all relying on him to lead them to victory. He didn't quite know how or when he'd become the leader of this ragtag group of misfits, but they were his group of ragtag misfits, and he loved them to bits, and he would defend them with everything he had. It didn't take long for the warband to appear ahead of them, in the distance. There at least had to be about maybe three, maybe four hundred of them. Seven was taking deep breaths as he watched the heavily painted and armed tribal warriors marching in time to the beating of their war drums. The four drummers walked ahead of the main group, beating the conical-shaped tomba-like drums that were secured to them with leather straps with their fists. Behind them were loose, disorganised ranks of the warriors of the tribe, all decorated with white paint that gave the tribe their name. Each of them was bare-chested, with their red skin shining in the sunlight that beat down on them from above. Their jet-black hair was tied back and decorated with a variety of beads and bones from both animals and what looked to Seven's zoomed-in vision to be human. Seven instantly began to pick out the leaders among the warriors, not only because they seemed to be mounted on horseback for the most part, but they were also decorated rather differently. There were far more colourful feathers in their hair, in hues of reds and golds. They also wore what appeared to be blood-red face paint, and also upon their chests as well. The commanders also carried the best weapons, a mixture of rifles and some even shotguns, while all the warriors carried what looked like bows and a mixture of small hand axes and spears, as well as what seemed to be traditional tomahawk axes that were carried of their ancestors of old. At the rear of the formation, Seven spotted a single man who was decorated far more decadently than the rest of them. He figured this was either the chief or the warband leader, which Seven felt was pretty odd, as he'd always expected leaders to be ahead of their troops, not behind. But it appeared the White Legs didn't share his view of leadership, as he felt a leader should be the one at the front, you know, so you could lead. The whole group stopped about a hundred metres away from Seven and Wisp. As he did, the warband leader moved through the group, flanked on either side by two of his lieutenants. The three of them on horseback as they rode forward until they were only a few metres away from Seven and Wisp. So you must be the metal man who killed my son, the leader said in heavily accented but perfect English. If your son was the leader of the war party that came here looking for vengeance after we killed a bunch of raping, murdering scum and freed two captive women that they'd been taken from their loving tribe, then yes, I am, Seven said, glaring up at the man through his visor. The man glared at Seven, but he was eyeing Wisp cautiously, who had taken to repeatedly spinning up her guns and then stopping them and then doing it again. It was a tactic designed to intimidate the man, 
and it was working rather well in Seven's estimation. What do you care what happens to these people? They are not yours. This is the natural order of things. The strong dominate the weak, and they should always rule. We are strong, and they are weak. Therefore, we take what we want. What are they going to do about it? The chief snarled. I care because it's the right thing to do. These are good, kind people. They do not deserve what the dumpster fire you call a tribe is doing to them. So we're putting a stop to it. Plus, you're wrong. The strong should not rule the weak. They should protect them. Often the weak tend to be smarter than the strong, so the pair should work in harmony. It's obvious you have no concept of this, so we'll be happy to show you something you can understand. So now, as far as you can see, you have two options. You can either take your trash pile of a tribe, tuck your tail between your legs, and scurry off back to your dog-eat-dog dumpster fire, or you can try and take us on and prove us wrong. But I advise caution. Option number two does not end well for you. You think you have the upper hand because you have numbers, but you haven't evaluated the situation carefully. Did your men tell you how I killed your son? Seven said. They said something about using spirit magic, but I believe they did not wish to appear weak before the tribe, as no man can use magic, the chief said defiantly. Well, there's his mistake number one. You didn't listen to your people. That's the mark of a good leader. Don't assume you know better than they do. Listen to them. Evaluate. Because you wouldn't want to be arguing with someone who has the ability to crush you to the size of a soda can with a single thought now, would you? Seven snarled. The chief began laughing, and behind him, despite the fact that none of them obviously had a clue what was being said, the other warriors began laughing too. Towards the rear of the formation, where a couple of officers were spaced out, Seven saw a faint shimmer creeping up behind them. Before the man could yell a warning, he vanished backwards into the bush and never returned. Riss was starting early, it seemed. Get ready, Seven hissed a wisp, and she nodded. You honestly believe, expect me to believe you have the power of a spirit? What kind of idiot do you take me for? The chief snorted, as two more of his officers vanished from the rear of his ranks into the bushes. The kind that led his men into an ambush with nothing more than arrogance and a healthy dose of piss and vinegar? Seven said, and with that he held out both his hands. Both of his flanking officers flew from their horses and into the air, and the chief's face turned to a mask of pure shock and horror. Wisp, now! Seven yelled. Time to dance, boys! Wisp yelled, and already spun up her gatling lasers, opened up on the tightly clustered men. Seven crushed the heads of both officers, killing them instantly before reaching for his own weapon. The chief's horse reared up as one of Seven's invisible hands smacked it hard across the arse and it threw the startled man to the ground, the horse bolting into the undergrowth. The cluster of warriors began to break as they ran for cover to the sides of the trail trying to look for the now missing officers for some kind of leadership. As they were confused in the utter lack of orders, two very angry claws came storming out of the undergrowth they were both currently running towards, on both sides letting out bellowing roars as they did. Seven fired off multiple shots into the scattering men, and from the tower and the rampart, shots and arrows began to rain down on the scattered warriors. The chief tried to crawl away from Seven, and he helped him on his way by planting one of his huge metal boots right up his arse, causing him to fly face first into the gravel and grind his face through the dirt. As he tried to get up, 
Seven snatched him from the ground and held him aloft by the throat. No, you don't get to run away now. Now you get to see what you have unleashed. You wanted a bloodbath? Well, here it fucking is. See what you have wrought and bask in it, you bastard. Seven roared at him, using his pain in his skull as a fuel for the power that he needed as he forced the chief to watch his men being cut down left and right as they scrambled to find some form of defence against the onslaught that rained down on them from all sides. A man hoisted a hefty-looking rifle that looked like it could have easily killed a claw with a single shot and pointed it at Visa, but before he could squeeze the trigger, a shape appeared to his right out of the shadows and sank its fangs into his throat, knocking the rifle skywards as she did. As his companions turned to see what had happened to the shot, they found him slumping to the ground with two large puncture wounds in his throat and froth spewing from his mouth, but Riss was nowhere to be seen. Ven had been seen what had just about to happen to his beloved sister, let a bellowing roar so loud that it echoed down the valley and charged right at them with his head down, like a giant two-legged bull. He slammed his horns into the midriff of one man while impaling two others with his claws. He hoisted the three screaming impaled men up and promptly used them as a meat shield to protect both himself and his sister from a volley of arrows fired by a couple of warriors, all embedded in their colleagues instead. This sparked another roar of pure rage and fury and shots began to ring down on the archers, killing them one at a time from the tower. Leave my claw alone, you bastards! Gregory's voice roared across the battlefield as the men after man fell to his rifle. Wisp was still firing off her guns. She was firing so fast and so much that her fusion cores were beginning to overheat. This was causing steam to piss out the back of her armour, making her look demonic as she glowed red in the cloud, casting a truly demonic visage. Three minutes. Three minutes was all it took. Three whole minutes and all it was all over. Out of the 400 men that had come to fight, maybe 20 got away with their lives, running as fast as they could painted legs could carry them into the valley. Seven rotated the chief so he was looking him right in the eye. This is what you have done. What you have forced us to do. Now go back to your fucking dumps of fire and never return. The dead horses are protected now. If we so much as see a white leg in a hundred leagues of this place, the next time you see us will be at your gilly village gates. Do you understand me? Stephen snarled menacingly. The chief nodded. His face had turned as white as snow below his red face paint now. Seven flung him screaming into the undergrowth before he burst out of it screaming and took off after his men as fast as his legs could carry him. A huge cheer rose up from the village with loud whoops and yells of victory. The dead horses had not only won the day, but indeed the war. The white legs would never return now, as they no longer had the strength to do so, and after seeing what their defenders were capable of, they wouldn't bloody want to either. Seven looked around at the bodies littering the battlefield, and felt a pang of both sorrow and guilt in his heart. Now he knew that these men would have happily killed each and every single one of them without a single shred of guilt or remorse. But that wasn't the man that Seven was. He firmly believed that taking a life should never be an easy or indeed a quiet thing. He should weigh heavily on the soul, because in his opinion it was the difference between you being a, at your core a good person or a bad one. 
because a bad one would never feel a thing for the life they'd just taken away. Of all the memories and experiences that they'd just destroyed as well. Visa appeared right in front of him and he looked up at his big claw girl. She seemed to sense his pain even through the expressionless face of his armour's helmet and she wrapped her long bloody covered arms around him. It's alright my male, you did a good thing here. These good people are alive and their nest is safe because of you and what you did here. Feel not guilty for this. You defended those who needed you in their hour of needing it. What you and indeed us did here today will be remembered by these people for a very long time, she said soothingly. Seven nodded as he turned his head to see the others emerging as well. Riss appeared right next to them and from no other five night stalkers appeared out of nowhere. Though these were the quadrupedal, non-speaking and human-loving variety. I found some friends. They came when they heard the fighting and wished to help the kind humans who helped them. They helped us fight and a number of these kills are theirs, she said gesturing first to the body and then to the proud and surprisingly regal feral night stalkers stood all around her. Well, maybe we should convince the chief to give them a home here in the village, eh? would certainly help both of them, giving a stable source of food and a safe place to sleep, while also giving the village an added layer of protection in the form of some rather effective guard dogs. Seven said, and Riss nodded her head in agreement. The group walked back through the village gates together, and were instantly surrounded by cheering villagers. They were all clapping them on the backs and shoulders as they celebrated their victory. Seven watched the villagers even clap both Visa and Ven on their backs and shoulders, enjoying the surprise the two big claws had and they painted on their faces. It was obvious to him that never before had anyone celebrated their arrival, but now these people were showing them unreservedly that humans could truly not only accept them, but celebrate them. Gregory jumped down off his tower and unashamedly ran straight for Ven and threw himself into his big claw boy's arms, clinging to him tightly as the big claw picked him up and hugged him tightly to his chest. I'm so happy you are all right. When they started shooting at you like that, I got so incredibly scared, I thought I was going to lose my mind, Gregory said in a soft and relief-soaked voice. There, there, my sweet human boy. I'm all right. See? Not a single scratch on this scaly rear you love so much. Ven said softly and teasingly, trying to chase his human boy's fears away by making him laugh. It worked, and Gregory nuzzled tightly into his chest. Seven looked at Visa and she at him, and the pair shared a happy smile. There was a silent understanding between them both, as they gave each other a squeeze. These were feelings that they had shared only moments ago themselves. The chief of the village approached them, and began to speak to them. Chief says you are truly spirit to send to protect us. Never in life has he seen so few deceit so many with such ease. You's proved to him that, and to all that you are good spirits, that you's his guardians of innocent. You's will forever have place and home here with us if you's wishes it, Run said, translating for them. 
The gesture made Seven smile warmly under his helmet, which he reached up and took off, breaking the seals so he could look the chief in the eye when he spoke, despite standing taller than him thanks to the armour itself. Thank you, great chief. Your offer is kind and generous. Maybe one day we will return here and claim that reward. But for now, we must move on. We came here to fulfil a promise to our good friend Runs with Night Stalkers that we would help him protect his people, and we did just that. But it is not safe for anyone if we remain here. Mighty and evil people pursue us, and we cannot lead them here. They would bring too much death and destruction to your good people, and we could not bear that. So we must leave. But we ask for your permission to take young Runs here with us. We know that neither he nor Risk could be able to be separated. Seven said. The chief listened to Runs translating Seven's word, and then he nodded in agreement before speaking again. Very well, it will be so. Runs with night stalkers will accompany you, and he will represent the dead horses wherever you treads. He will stand guardian to mighty spirits he brought to us, and he will be the anchor that hopefully brings you back here to us one day. But before you leaves, I will do as I will promised, and I will marry Runs and Riss for village, so all may see that love wears many faces and knows no bounds, the chief said through a now rather ecstatic but startled Runs. And as it turned out, the dead horses took their weddings very seriously. The whole village went crazy. The whole place just turned into an absolute anthill when somebody poured boiling water down it. While some of them were dispatched to clear the bodies of the fallen white legs from outside and to form a proper burial party, as they believed that even the dead of the enemy should not be denied peace at the end of their life, the others all went into full meltdown to get everything ready. Risk got vanished by a large group of local women who squirrelled her away into a tent, and Runs got the same by a group of men. As attendees and guests of honour, the rest of the group were pulled to one side and got set upon by villagers determined to make them look their best. Seven couldn't help but laugh and also be amazed as both Visa and Ven got so many flowers wound around their horns that each of them looked like they had a hanging basket on their heads. Though both he and Wisp fared no better, they didn't even let him out of his armour, instead decided to paint it with him inside so he was utterly covered from head to foot in colourful patterns and swirls and thick tribal designs made from natural pant dyes and paints, as was Wisp, who now looked like a hippie bus with a face. When both Riss and Runs finally re-emerged from where the locals had squirrelled them away to, the group had a collective breath taken away from them. The pair looked absolutely radiant. Runs had been dressed in traditional ceremonial garb and a massive headdress, he had a crest of white feathers on his head, which had trails of colourful beads running down to his shoulders and also down onto his chest that looked like a rainbow and a waterfall had had a baby. He was wearing a white leather top and matching pants with splashes of colour painted over them. Riss had beads and feathers of all colours and varieties braided into her fur. Her tail and rattle had been decorated with both feathers and flowers and now as well as a crest of flowers was in the form of a circlet had been placed on her head. The big night skulker girl looked about as nervous as it was possible for a big giant talking night skulker girl to be, 
and it was obvious that she'd never had a makeover before either. The pair stood before the chief, and Seven, now in his highly decorated group, were shepherded up to the front to form a ring around the pair and the chief. The chief took wrists and Run's hands and placed them together, before tying them together with a woven silken rope, while reciting both vows and prayers for the pair. The whole thing culminated in the pair vowing to live and love one another for a lifetime. Once the vows were spoken aloud, the ceremony finished with the pair sharing a deep and loving kiss before everyone in the village, which started the whole gathered crowd cheering and clapping as they celebrated the union of these two very different people, who despite their different species, had shared a single heart and soul. The dead horses really knew how to throw a party. The reception through for the newlyweds was absolutely incredible. They really pulled out all the stops to show both the couple and their guests their appreciation for everything that had been done. Seven and his group were lined up along a laid-out table that had local dishes of all shapes and sizes and types. Seven couldn't help but watch both Visa and Ven tucking into the offered meat hungrily. The pair had obviously worked up quite an appetite fighting for these good people, and the locals seemed to utterly revel in feeding the pair of the hungry claws, until they were both sat back patting their full bellies. Reggie approached Seven while he was sat back and relaxed after their satisfying meal, and listening to all the joyful conversations going on all around him. May I? he asked, gesturing to the seat next to him. Seven nodded and gestured for him to take a seat, and Reggie dropped into the bench while setting his meat-laden plate down on the table. I guess you'll be heading out soon then, huh? He asked and Seven nodded. Yeah, I'm thinking first thing tomorrow morning. Let the two newlyweds enjoy their wedding night in comfort, you know? Seven said, glancing at Runs and Riss, who were both sat at the centre of the table and seemed to be thoroughly enjoying the happy atmosphere all around them. Yeah, I get it. And honestly, I'll be sad to see you guys go. It was really good to meet you, Seven. You really kind of opened my eyes to what's really possible in this world. I never in my life would have imagined what you and your group have actually accomplished. I mean, who in their life would have ever imagined a human and a death claw as a couple? But your group has on not only one, but two couples, and one of which is homosexual. I mean, Jesus, you guys really are the poster children for open-minded acceptance. But seeing you all together, I just can't see anything but pure love and respect among you all, and it truly warms my heart to see it. I mean, when I look at you and that big scaly girl of yours, I just can't help but feel jealous. So if you see any more human-loving claw girls out there, maybe send them uh, my way, will you? Maybe a big girl with a tail and scales is in my future as well, he said with a big toothy smile. Reggie's features then hardened into a more, more serious look. Look, Seven, you really do have your work cut out for you here in evading the Enclave. Those fuckers do not give up easily. I should know. The way I see it, you've got basically two choices when dealing with them here. Either convince them that you're dead, so they stop looking for you, which is pretty much what I did, or hit them so fucking hard and make their losses near impossible to replace. This will force them to back off you. Anything else is just a folly, and they'll simply not give up. Especially with someone like you who are utterly convinced that they own you, and they do not like the prospect of other people playing with their toys. 
prospect of all that power you have under your hood falling into the hands of one of their rivals will put them right on edge. Imagine what would happen if someone like the Brotherhood of Steel got hold of you and set you against them. It would lead to another war. So you've got to stay away from the superpowers, my man. Do not trust any of them, no matter how good inten- their intentions seem. They will use you as a weapon for their benefit, Reggie said solemnly. Seven sighed heavily and nodded. He'd himself been given this thought a lot as well. Now I won't ask you where you're going, as in truth I don't really want to know, because it means if the worst ever happened and they got a hold of me, they wouldn't be able to pry a hidden truth out of me, because there won't be one. But let me give you a recommendation. Don't go no- near Appalachia. Instead head to Boston. I hear there are good people up that way. But if you head into Appalachia, be careful. There's a heavy enclave presence there. They've got a command bunker in the area. Never went there myself, but I heard all sorts of stories about it. Plus the Brotherhood is actually rather strong in that area as well, Reggie said and Seven nodded. The pair spent the rest of the evening chattering, and Reggie seemed determined to cram as much knowledge and experience as he could into Seven's young head. Once they finally parted and Visa steered him towards their tent for the night, his head was utterly ringing. Though not as much as Runs was by the sounds that were coming from Riss's tent. The pair of them were really gone too far, and they were exhausted to have any fun that night. Instead, the pair of them chose to curl up in each other's arms, and simply enjoyed the feeling of being loved and cherished by another being. First thing in the morning, after both Seven and Wisp had washed off their armoured bodies, not to mention the claws, and the number of their group set off, with Runs bidding a tearful farewell to his beloved people, and despite Seven offering the pair a last chance to return here, once Runs had guided them out of the canyon, both of them had said no, that they wished to remain with the group that had brought them together, and had saved both of their lives. They wanted to show their love to the world at large, in the hope that it would show others like them on both sides that there was another way, and what beauty plus love could come in all shapes, sizes and flavours. The group made their way through the natural beauty of Zion, following runs, until finally, after near a solid day of hard slog, they finally reached the far side of the canyon. The group stood staring out of the great forests of the Buena Vista. Well, at least those giant fucking trees will make it difficult or nigh-on impossible for the Enclave to land forces anywhere nearby to us, Seven said, craning his neck to look up into the huge trees that towered into the sky like they were trying to touch the sun high above them. Well, this is as far as Eyes knows how to go. The rest is mystery to Eyes, Run said as his new wife curled herself around him as he stood looking up into the huge trees alongside Seven. Well, this is the last chance for you guys to both turn back, I guess, guys. If you want to return to the village and live happily ever after together, no one here will blame you or resent you. Hell, if anything, we'll be a little jealous, Seven said. Riss turned to fix him with a look that said everything her following words could never ever convey. We are going nowhere, Seven. Our place is with you and your group. You brought us together. And you kept your word to me. You helped me find the love of my life. To call my own. 
and now I will keep my word to you. We will help you to escape the enclave, and together we will all find a place to call our own, where one can be happy, and we can all be happy. And maybe along the way, we can find others just like us who need our help, she said proudly, and Run stood nodding in front of her. Eyes agrees with Eyes' beautiful wife. Eyes is your man to the end. Live, fight, and if need be, die at your side. You gave Eyes love and Eyes people freedom. You also avenged Eyes' beloved sister when Eyes could not. This is debt Eyes will repay in full, even if it costs Eyes life. This is Eyes' vow to you, Seven. Eyes is your man until the end, Run said proudly. Seven stepped forward and placed a hand on both of their shoulders before pulling them into a three-way hug, which the others joined in from behind them and from all around them. Thank you both. I don't have the words to truly say what this means to me, he said softly. Then no more words. Let us go forth and bring freedom and love to those who need it. Evil was done to us. So now we shall take those scars and use them to break others like us out and show them the truth, Miss said proudly. Exactly. I agree with both of them. So come on, let's go. We've got a long way to go. A robo-loving boy for Wisp to find and a human-loving claw girl to send back to Reggie, Gregory said with surprising both Seven and Wisp, as the young human grinned at them both. He was a really observant one, this lad. So that's where you've been hiding. I see you, Seven. You won't escape my eyes now, Number Two said softly to herself as she watched the forest morph into view around Seven. His jerky movements indicated that he might very well be aware of her infiltration into his mind. She could also feel the strength that was welling up inside him as his own powers seemed to react to the presence of hers. All of a sudden, like a flash of lightning, there was another presence in his mind, and number two gasped as she felt the strong influence of the third presence. I see you, number two. Get the fuck out of his mind and tell your sniving little taskmaskers we know what you're doing. We will kill all you send till you can send no more. So if they value the lives of their men... They will lead us be. This is your only warning, the female voice said. And just like that, her connection to number seven was forcibly terminated and she shot awake with a loud gasp. Report, the desperate voice of Dr. Chalmers exclaimed from above her. I, I, I found them, but I was unable to maintain my link. It appears that number three has found a way to block me and force me out, she replied in a shaky voice. Where are they? Dr. Chalmers snarled, appearing before her and making her shrink back into the bed. Number two explained what she had seen in her brief connection to number seven. She also talked, told the doctor of number three's warning. Oh, so they want to make demands, do they? We'll see about that, the doctor snarled, before reaching for a comms panel. This is Dr. Chalmers. I've located the fugitives, but they are protected by strong allies. I think this is an excellent time to give number four a field test. 
Yes, sir. I think he's ready. Very well, sir. I'll see to it, and I'll get it done. You can count on me, she said before hanging up. She pressed another set of buttons, and when the person on the other end picked up, she began to speak. This is Dr. Chalmers. I have authorization to send number four out into the field. Assemble your best hunter squad and have them waiting in the hangar bay. I'll have him outfitted and sent down to you. He will have strict orders, and he will obey them to the letter. So tell your people not to get in his way, or he might just go through them. They're there to support and protect him, nothing more. Their lives are inconsequential. All that matters is the recovery of the two subjects, two and seven. That is all, Dr. Chalmers said before hanging up and rubbing her hands together rather gleefully. Somehow, number two felt rather sorry for number seven and number three. All of a sudden, this was going to turn rather nasty rather quickly. Ah, so it looks like the Enclave are hot on the heels of Seven and Co. Will they catch up with them, or will they be able to take cover and give them the slip again? Only going to be one way to find out. You're going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you next time.